ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. How did so many Americans get this answer so wrong? Hello, I'm Tom Gilson, and the question is, how close are scientists to fabricating life in the lab? Most American adults, especially those with a college education, think we're already there. Today on ID the Future, we'll hear the second part of Eric Metaxas' interview with Dr. James Tour on the topic. Metaxas is a best-selling author, speaker, and humorist, and in the first part of this conversation, which we've already aired, he introduced Dr. Tour as a world expert in nanochemistry, arguably the most widely influential scientist in the world today. And now we'll find out just how stunningly wrong most Americans are on the question of life in the lab. Metaxas is first to speak so as we pick it up here. What really, um, the, the reason I ended up writing my book is Atheism Dead is because when we had that conversation I, about the original life, I was so astonished. I thought, nobody talks about this. So let's talk about this. You, um, in, in the restaurant in Houston, you started explaining to me, because I think all of us in high school were forced, it was on the test, it was always on the test, how did life begin? So what is the standard model since 1952 when people say, you know, to high school students, to college students, how life began? What do they say? It's not only the standard model to high school students, it's the standard model to college students, it's the standard model to graduate students. It's in all of their textbooks. And, and from middle school through graduate school. And it is the, the uh, uh, primordial soup model. There is a pond, there's a body of water, and there are molecules in that body of water. <clears throat> there are some lightning strikes, and the molecules start coming together, and then they assemble into cells. Those cells start coming together, and you get little creatures that start swimming around in that pond. And then those Creatures end up coming out of the pond and start populating the earth. That's the primordial suit model. That's what's taught. But I remember the, the night we were talking about it, part of my astonishment was the fact that I haven't thought about this. Because as I said, we all argue, or many people argue about evolution and all that kind of stuff. But, but nobody ever talks about how you get life from non-life. It's one thing to talk about we have some life and how can it modify? How can it change? How does that happen? How do you go from a single cell to a lizard? But to talk about there's no life and then suddenly there's life. So scientists today would say life appeared four billion years ago. We know that. Yes, it appeared immediately after the cooling of the earth. When I say immediately, sub 100 million, maybe 50 million years, which on a geological time scale is, is very, very rapidly there's evidence for life immediately upon the cooling of the earth after the heavy bombardment when the earth was pelted with many meteorites that, that actually filled our, our surface of our planet with many different elements. So scientists, when you ask them how life began, they will tell you, yes, uh, we know it began four billion years ago. Exactly, single-celled life appeared. So you can agree with that. But then you say, right, it appeared. How did that happen? And you say that, I mean, at, at the end of the day, they always point us back to this 1952 experiment. 
And I remember you telling me that it's been 70 years since that experiment. And they were so hopeful. They thought, we produced amino acids. We're on our way. Do they know what amino acids are? I mean, you're throwing out chemical names yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me just say stuff. Um, the building blocks of protein. Um, but I remember you explaining this to me, and I remember thinking, you know what? I, I, never, th I never think about this. So you said that in those 70 years, the assumption was that they created amino acids and then that they would then be able to do the next step and the next step and the next step and, and they would begin to fig eventually figure out how you get single-celled life. And so it's been 70 years. How are they doing on that? Not very well. Nobody, nobody has ever made a cell. Nobody has ever, so you get amino acids. It was an amazing experiment. So, so set up an experiment with a flask with very simple compounds, ammonia, carbon dioxide, nitrogen, and, and uh, oxygen, and you start putting in voltage pulses to simulate um, uh, lightning strikes, and you get amino acids formed. These amino acids were, were not handed. They did not have optical activity, meaning that our hands are non-superimposable mirror images. If I put my right hand up to a mirror, I would see an image of my left hand. That's why my right hand does not fit into a left-handed glove properly. They are non-superimposable mirror images. You cannot insert one into the other. The vast majority of molecules are like that in biological systems. They had the two-handed, they had both molecules mixed together. How you got one, which is what you need for life, uh, nobody knew. But at that time, they didn't know that you really had to have only the one hand and not the other. So even, even Miller and Urey thought it was going to come very quickly, and then they, they've confessed it, it really didn't come very quickly. I mean, this is... It never came. Never came. Never came. Not, not only... Not only I, I, I mean, we're so far from that that the, it's become harder to get than it was in 1952. It's become harder. See, that's the key. <clears throat> yes, that's the key. Is that you said... I remember you saying to me... And see, I find this all funny, actually. This is like so delightful to me that they're all excited because the, the idea is that science, if they remove the God hypothesis, they would say single-celled life emerged by itself through random processes. And in 1952, they were able to create some amino acids and they just thought, we've got it, we're on our way. But what you're saying is that the more time passed, they were not able to move the ball forward. In fact, you said it's like they moved the ball backwards. The more you learn, the more you realize we're not doing this. So the goalpost got further away because what happens is the cell doesn't change, but the, the, uh, we understand more about the complexity of the cell. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, I'm gonna have to build that too? Oh, I will have to build that too. So the complexity, as we learn it, you're like, this is crazy. So the, the ball hasn't moved backward, but the goalpost has moved further away. And so we, we're much further from the target than we were from the goalpost than we were in 1952. 
because of the things that we have learned, which are, which are amazing, just amazing. And so how does a cell do this if we can't make a single cell? The cell does this because it, it takes all of this information. When a cell divides, it splits it between its two sides, and then it pinches down in the middle. And so it keeps spreading this. We have no idea how to do that. No idea. But it's been 70 years. 70 years. They've been working on this hard. And you're telling me that, I mean, there's two pieces of information here. A, you're telling me they've been working on this puzzle of how you get life from non-life. They've been working on it hard day and night for 70 years. Um, Okay. It, It actually even predated that. That was the big experiment that they thought they were right on the verge. That was like the kickoff yes. that they thought we're on our way now. Yeah. And, but what you're saying is that the more we learn about the details of what's required to create the simplest life imaginable, which is a single cell, the more we've discovered how complex the cell is. So that's what you're saying. The goalpost is, is moving away. The ball is still here, but the goalpost is like flying across the universe. Yes. Yes, it's moving much faster than the ball is moving forward. The ball makes nanometer increments as it goes forward. Well, okay, but so then this brings up the the biggest question. I mean, you describe this in detail. You've got lots of videos. By the way, you have a YouTube channel. DR James Tour. DR James Tour. Okay, because there are going to be people watching this who really want to get into this. And you do get into this. But... What's so fascinating to me, what, what really kills me, is that you know this world of nanoscience, and you know that they've been working on this 70 years, and you know that not only haven't they moved the ball forward, but the goalposts are like speeding away. And you're calling them on it. In other words, you are saying, excuse me, I know what you know, and I know what you don't know, and I know you're blowing smoke because you have gone after some of these folks because they're making claims that we've pretty much got this figured out, and you're saying no. I'm saying no, and, and uh, it's bothering the community. And, uh, uh, what, because what community? What community? The origin of life community. There are researchers. There's a community? Yes. There's researchers that work in this area of origin of life and they have meetings together and they discuss the progress and uh, it doesn't go anywhere. Can you imagine doing that for a 40-year career and, and you're further away from the goal than when you started 40 years ago? And so they keep saying that we're going to have life in, uh, Lee Cronin said it in 2011, that it'll, he'll, he'll hopefully make life in his lab within two years. You said this in 2011? 2011. He didn't, he was not successful. Just doing the math, I'm thinking maybe uh, that didn't, maybe that didn't happen. Jack Sostek at Harvard, a Nobel Prize winner, said in 2014 he'd have life in his lab made within three to five years. He missed that date. Uh, but um, but did, you see, but yeah. again, you're so understated. I know from what little I have watched of your videos at DR James Tour on YouTube, that it, it would be like saying, I'm gonna have a car uh, in two years, right? And 
then you find out that I don't even have any idea how to make a wheel or a motor. In other words, to, to make a claim about a car when you don't know how to make a motor or you don't even have the beginnings of knowing how to make a single piston, how would you dare to talk about a car? Right, it, it's even more than that, Eric. It, it's, it's in the 1500s saying, I will be on the moon in two years. We've, we've, not, we've not gotten flight. We've not gotten space travel. We have no idea, there's no infrastructure for that. And if you had said that in 1500, you would get locked up. And, and that's what it's like. We can't make the four basic classes of chemicals. I'm not going to say their name. The four basic classes oh, of chemicals. Oh, just for laughs. Tell us what are the four basic classes of chemicals. One is the young lady that you dated, lipids. Lipids. All right. I said I, I think I dated a lipid. I can't say for sure. Another is carbohydrates, which are your potatoes. Uh, but they're a very important class of compounds. Those are the hardest ones to make. Uh, another one is the amino acids and the proteins that, that are formed from amino acids. And the other are the nu nucleic acids, which are the DNA and the RNA, which are actually a sugar, a carbohydrate with a base on it, and a phosphate group. And so those are the four classes of molecules that we need. We can't even make those in a prebiotically relevant manner. And any papers that publish and say we've made it in a prebiotically relevant manner are absolute junk and nonsense. And that's what I am exposing. And, and, uh, uh, and of course, it bothers the community. <laughs> we don't want to bother the community. Um, but again, I, I, I find this funny because as I've watched your videos, it's so obvious that they're not even, you know, to say somebody's not close, it's all degrees and, it, and it's all subjective. I mean, they're not in the same galaxy. Like we're talking about something, when, when, when you talk about what the simplest life is, it's a level of complexity that is like almost incomprehensible and they're still claiming that it came together by itself through random sloshing in the prebiotic soup and you're, you're calling on that. On yeah, that. yeah. So, so people have computed because they'll keep saying cells were much simpler back then than they are now. Before the war. <laughs> Before, the, Before the war. Yeah, everything was much simpler back then. Yeah, okay. But I mean, yeah. how simple... <laughs> I didn't know that one. How simple... Um, you know, when somebody says... You no, know, because I want to be clear that I, I... Until I started looking into your stuff, you know, when you think of what is a cell, it's a membrane and there's a, there's a nucleus, so it's like a jelly donut. I mean, how complex could it be? What is it? But at, the more you look into it, the more you realize, oh my goodness. It's a factory. It is an entire... It's a factory. It's like a universe of complexity. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's like flying over New York City at 30,000 feet and thinking, oh, that's, that's interesting. Or going down on the street and seeing the infrastructure and then under the streets and seeing the infrastructure. And everywhere you look, there's this complexity that you never saw at 30,000 okay, so feet. So in the early part of the 20th century, we couldn't see much of that complexity. It was just a bunch of protoplasm. Okay. Very easy. Which is like a made-up word, like jelly donut. In, 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 in the beginning of the 20th century. In the beginning of the 20th yes. century, yes. 
And, and so that kind of gave people hope, like, well, well, we'll figure this out. Right. And then they begin discovering what is in the nucleus and what is a membrane. I mean, a membrane, even that word, you think, okay, membrane. Well, uh, t- talk about the complexity of what is a membrane. So it's a bilayer membrane. What you have is you have two, you, 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 you have two layers. And what's happened is the two layers are different. The outer membrane, which is the world in which is, it sees, is different than the inner membrane where the nucleus and, and the endoplasmic reticulum and all this DNA is, is, is working is different. And so every quote-unquote protocell that people have made, they say, well, this is, this is the beginnings of a cell. They've, they've, never had, they've never had the inside different than the outside. So all their protocells are a bunch of nonsense. They could never work. There's a reason for that because you have to have what's called a proton gradient. I'm not going to explain it, okay? You don't have... I'm not going to ask you to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's because the, the hydrogens, the hydrogen atoms that have lost an electron are called a proton, and they can move in and out, but they, they stay on one side more than the other because the two sides are different. If the two sides are the same, you don't get that gradient. All their protocells are a bunch of garbage. There are experts in origin of life that say it's just like making salad dressing, which is crazy which is absolutely crazy because, because you, you have these little bubbles in salad dressing. First of all, those are not vesicles where you have an inner and an outer later and a middle, but there are ways to make vesicles, but it could never work. What you've made and you've called even your membrane without even worrying about the stuff in it, it could never work. That's just the membrane layer. Then you have all the stuff in it. People will say, all you need is a piece of RNA. That's a bunch of nonsense. It's been calculated all the different things you need to have a cell to work. Not only have they not made all of those things, they haven't even made one of them. It's a list of about 25 things. They haven't even made one of them. Not even one. Okay, so but they're still asking us to believe that a lifeless universe, through random sloshing, made every single one of these things and then assembled every single one of these things in this exquisite order that eventually ends up being what we call life. And we, let's be honest, like we can't even define what life is, correct? That's correct. So if you have a cell, a cell that just dies, we're just talking about a little cell, a yeast cell, a very simple cell, not, not, even, not even a human cell, it's a very simple cell, just dies. Ask a scientist, what is it? that we just lost? What is it that we just lost? I did this experiment once. I don't know if my daughter will remember. I had a bunch of scientists over for dinner and, and I said, watch, watch this. I said, I have a cell, it just died. What, what is it that we just lost? One guy said, it's, it's the ionic potentials. The other guy said, no, no, it's much, it's lost much more than ionic potentials. They could not even agree on what it was that we just lost, let alone how you define life. You can talk about the characteristics of life, characteristics of, a, uh, of life, you, you, you can specify, but what is the life? What is it that you just lost? Scientists can't even define that, let alone make it. And that's why I say that, that even if I gave you a cell, if I gave you a cell that just died, go ahead, bring it back to life. In other words, you're saying if, 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 a, if a cell dies, Every single one of the parts is there. Is there. In other words, I'll give you that. Yeah. Now make them work. Yes, because, because 
a resurrection should be easier than a bottom-up synthesis. You know, everything's there. Everything, all the parts are kind of in place. Now bring it back to life. Can anybody do that? There's not a scientist in the right mind who will say that they can do that. Even origin of life people say, would never say that they, they, they can do that. They won't say they can't do it because they won't admit it, but they'll just look at you. <laughs> That's what they do. They just look at you. They say, can you do it? They just look at me. By not answering you, they're obviously saying something. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I saw Steve Benner at a meeting in Israel. You saw Steve Benner? Yes. Who's Steve Benner? Steve Benner is a big <laughs> origin of, of life researcher. And, and he was asked, okay, say you had all these pieces, could you assemble a cell? He said, well, you know, a career is four score years. I'm three and a half score into this. One of these other people will do it. Like, what kind of answer is that? What kind of answer is that? That's called kicking the can down the yeah. road. Yeah, so the next day I challenged him on this. No, he just stared at me. They can't do it. They can't do it. Can you and and I, I'm the crazy one that's yeah. bucking against scientific consensus. I'm, 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 I'm the one who's nefarious, I'm told. They tell me I'm nefarious. Nefarious. Yes, which means You're evil nefarious. and wicked. <laughs> really? Yes. Can you define wicked and evil? Um, so no, because I looked it up because I want to see what are they actually calling it. Right. Right. Well, but I mean, again, I find I find the whole thing funny. The idea that you're you're clear, you're showing very clearly. I mean, to people who are in this world, to uh, most of us, it wouldn't make sense. But you're showing them clearly how they have nothing. Uh, you know, it's like Houdini showing you know the the the, the trick of of the the guy at the seance or whatever, he's exposing, you're exposing, 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 and you're infuriating them because they have entire careers and lives based on the fact that this is a thing and you're saying, no, it's not a thing and I can prove it's not a thing. And so how is that going at this point? Like what is the, what, where's, I mean, even I have watched enough of your stuff to know that these people know they're in big trouble. Well, you, you, you know, as you've seen my videos, I get very excited about this. But to tell you the truth, it's the most irksome work that I've ever done. The most irksome? irksome. Can you define irksome? Uh, uh, detestable. Irksomeness. Uh, detestable. So because... Yeah. Go ahead. Because I'm telling people who have spent 40 years working on a project saying it's a bunch of nonsense. I'm, I'm telling them this and I'm showing, I'm presenting them with their own data and showing them how this could never work and I can feel their pain. I can feel their pain. I, I still, what I, um, I can't feel their pain. Um, I mean, of course, uh, I know what you mean, but, I, but there's something here, the reason I find this so fascinating and in some ways humorous is because these are the very people who ought to know better. In, in other words, you can fool us. We don't know uh, uh, enough to know whether you're blowing smoke, but they and that world have to know. So it's kind of like a con game or it's kind of like uh, a pyramid scheme and like we're all in on it and nobody, nobody 
let the outsiders know that we know that we're, we're kidding ourselves. Right. And, and, and this is the thing that the, the common person cannot know this. You, you take their word for it. So when Steve Benner publishes a paper on a bunch of junk that he's made that he called RNA, but it's not RNA because it doesn't, it's not assembled properly and it has branches and all these things, and, and uh, it could never work. And he says, this simple model explains and forms the basis behind Darwinian evolution. I mean, this, he just said this a couple of months ago to the press. That's quite, that's like a leap, that's like a insane Huge leap. leap, that means you've made a cell, that cell is passing on traits to offspring and away you go. And, and, and uh, uh, so what happens is, is when any chemist sees the presentation where I present these people's data, they see it, it's obvious to them that this is smoke and mirrors, that this is a game, that this is, there's nothing behind it. And, and uh, uh, it's embarrassing to these people. It's embarrassing, and I feel their pain. And, and look, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I, I, I feel the pain of others that some other people give it to them. I mean, I, I feel the pain. So, but but it, it hurts me to do it, but I'm exposing this because what happens is, as you've seen in my videos, is the whole world is misled. Two-thirds of the general population thinks that scientists have made simple organisms like a bacterium in the lab. One third of the general population thinks that scientists have made living creatures like frogs in the laboratory. And this is so far from the truth, but this is what you get. And 80% and of those people that were interviewed, that were, that were in the survey, had college degrees. That's okay, so th this is, I mean, again, this is what kicked off my interest in this is in, in our initial conversation, I thought part of what's fascinating is that no one ever talks about this. Nobody ever thinks about this. There are all these debates about evolution, but, but the idea, we all kind of skate past the idea of life. Like, well, we, we assume life. And you're saying uh, clearly that not only uh, is it conceivable that life created itself because there's, 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 no, there's nothing to, to, to do anything. It's like we're talking about inert stuff. Inconceivable, right? yeah. And, and you're saying that we know that, but it really to me is, there's something grotesque about people devoting their lives to science who are, are being dishonest about this. This is what I find so, so horrifying about it. In other words, you're saying that they've been telling this story so that most college graduates in, the, in, in, uh, in America believe that we, we got that covered. And you're saying, not only don't we have it covered, we're, on, we're not even close, we're not even, uh, we, we don't even have the beginnings of an idea. The more we know, the more we know, we know nothing about how life emerged four billion years ago. That's exactly right, because even if you could make all the four classes of chemicals, and you can't, in a prebiotically relevant manner, even if you could make them, you don't know how to polymerize them, build them into the higher structures, and then assemble them into the workings of a cell. We have no idea. And none of these men and women that work in that area would say that they could do that. Uh, yet they make these projections of having life, and it is frustrating, and, uh, um, and that's, I guess, become my mission.
to just and how, talk and, about this. And how has it become your, 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 your mission? Because, I mean, again, part of me is horrified at the scientific community and, or the community, the, the origin of life community, that they, they themselves wouldn't be more forthcoming about this because it's kind of black and white. This is, this is not, you know, um, when, when, when we look at your presentations and things, it's, it's, it's clear that they're blowing smoke, they're making claims, they're, they're making leaps and things. And we're talking about science. Yes. You know, some of them are beginning to come forward. There's a guy, there's a gentleman named Clement Reichert in Germany. His group, he's written papers that, hey guys, you know, we, 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 we can't keep doing this very elaborate chemistry and saying that happened in a puddle like this. You've got to have hands-off approaches. And people from his group contact me and say, we watch all of your stuff. These are groups doing origin of life. And they say, we think you're right. So they're working in this area and they, 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 they think I'm right. And I, I think what's happening is, so is it's getting to the graduate students. The graduate students are the ones that are starting their careers in this area of origin of life. The older folks are already committed. They're, they're, they've already thrown their hat into the ring. After 40 years of working on this, you can't say, whoops, <laughs> you know, I'm further away than when we started because the cell, we recognized all of these new complexities to a cell. But I think it's getting to the young people. And the young people are the ones that are watching this, that are saying, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Now, I, I'm not against origin of life research. I think it should happen, but totally different than what we're doing now. And there are ways to sh totally shake up the way research is done, and that's what I think we need. Because if any of the established researchers says, hey, you know, I, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I'm further away than I ever was, who's going to fund that? Who's going to give you more money? But is that the issue? The money? Money's issue, yeah. I mean, money's an issue for research. You don't have money, you, don't, you, don't, you can't fund your lab, and you can't fund your lab, you, you're not an important scientist anymore. You just go teach a few undergraduate classes. So, so it's not about, uh, what a horror. Uh, that's, it's, it's just dismaying. And again, I, I mean, I, I write about this in my book, but the idea is that most of us here, we, we have a high view of science and therefore a somewhat high view of scientists believing that they, it is about evidence. It is about the facts. Uh, it is about logic, it is about rationality. Um, but when we're talking about this kind of thing, it seems to be about money and power. It doesn't seem to be about those things. Yeah. yeah I, you can go further with, with this than, than I feel comfortable going further with this because I, I, I don't feel comfortable putting upon them what they might be doing. But you are right in the sense that the public is so utterly confused on this issue. And this is a big issue. This is, this is a big philosophical issue. Where did life come from? And when you say, you know, you've got it, you'll have it in the lab for three to five years, and, and, and the two people I mentioned are not the only people that have thrown out numbers like this that have all blown by. And that's why I keep saying all of those origin of life researchers will die of old age before they solve this. And all of their students will die of old age before this thing gets solved because I know we're so far away. 
and and uh, uh, it is it is upsetting to the to the public. It's upsetting to students. I gave a talk recently at Rice University on this subject, and that that's that's on the YouTube channel there. And one student asked, "So, what about science? Where you make a hypothesis, you investigate this, and you find out that your hypothesis is not right, and you modify your hypothesis this way that we." We, we sort of portray to students the way science is done. Well, it turns out that science isn't always done that way. Science is controlled by powerful people, by powerful interest groups, by, by people who hold the purse strings. And powerful people can keep saying, let's do this, let's do this. And it pushes these things along, even though it against, goes against what the hypothesis is, is, is seeming to, to, to tell us. Well. You see this over and over, right? I mean, uh, in the, the, um, your, my discussion with you about the origin of life uh, and Miller-Urey and all that kind of kicked off my wanting to think about this and writing this book. But the same thing you see with uh, the Big Bang hypothesis. I mean, there were people just kicking and screaming against the evidence. Uh, it was bothersome to them, the idea that the universe emerged literally out of nothing 13.8 um, billion years ago. It was, it was somehow repulsive. I mean, it was repulsive to Einstein. And it's, it's normal, it seems to me, for people to like some ideas and dislike some ideas. But when you're talking about scientists, you really expect the scientific community um, to, to just deal with the facts. I wish it were that way. Well, right, but it's kind of it's it's dramatic to me. Yeah, because yeah. It's, and, it's, and and yes, it's, it, it it is dramatic. This is just one point where 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 the facts, in my view, are not being followed, and I'm exposing it. And now, it it does not take a genius to expose this. If you are are an organic chemist, this is obvious. So any time before I will release a video series on this topic, I have it vetted by colleagues of mine. And I'll have watch the series. Did I get any of the science wrong? And you know, once in a while they'll say, well, you saw nucleotide when you should have been nucleoside, so I'll put a little banner thing, nucleoside. But none of the content was wrong. All of them said the content was correct. And in fact, what they said is, I mean, I can tell you what one of them said to me. He says he thinks that these people working in the area of origin of life should be fired. They should lose their positions because then it became obvious to him. He said, well, why didn't he know this already? Because nobody reads origin of life papers except people working in origin of life. And then they go out and they tell the press. And he said, well, why don't you read papers on it? Because nobody cares. You think it's already done. It's already solved. The other thing is you have a busy life. I read a lot of papers about nanotechnology. I'm not going to read about origin of life. I'm only reading about it now because I have to go after it. So you don't really scrutinize it. And you don't know this even by just reading their paper. You have to go into the experimental details. So, so you have to, online, you have to click on the experimental details. And you go and you see how they ran the experiments. And you look at the actual data. And you say, my goodness, this is garbage. This is just garbage. Hey, look at this spectrum. This is. This is nonsense. What, what got you started? Because as we said in the beginning, you're, you're doing really amazing work. 
Um, so what, what got you, uh, you know, in a way, sidetracked onto this? What was it that, 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 uh, that got you uh, involved in exposing this? So in around 2000, 2001, I got sent a, 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 a statement, and I don't even remember who sent it to me. Uh, it was from the Discovery Institute. I didn't even know who they were at the time, but it was a statement that said something to the effect that, that uh, um, we are skeptical that random mutation and natural selection can account for the diversity of life. Therefore, further research is warranted. That's it, further research. And they said, could you agree with that? I typed, yes, boom, return. That's it, I forgot about it. I find my name on a list of 700 scientists that have signed on to this. That list was then used in the Dover trials when people were trying to bring creation in creationism into public schools. That's when that list became popular and it was called the Descent from Darwinism list. And I'm on that list. I'm not ashamed. D-I-S-S-E-N-T. Yes, not. Descent, not yes, descent. Not, not, right. not genealogical descent. And, and, and um, so I find myself on this list and I'm not ashamed of it in the sense that I agree with that list. And why people would ever be upset with that statement, I don't know. I don't know why they'd be upset with that statement because it just says further research is warranted. This is what we as scientists do all the time. Further research is always warranted or you get no more money. Hey, I've solved this one, send me no more money, I'm good, whatever. <laughs> never, never. So why would you say it here? Why, why would you be upset that somebody says we need to research this further? So okay, this now clearly this has nothing to do with the origin of with life. Origin of life. Right. But so in, 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 in 2000, or around that time, yes. you get this email saying, would you agree yes. that uh, random, what's, what's the, the sentence? Random mutation and natural selection. Natural, that, that, that it's not quite, it's, it's not open and shut. Further research is required. You, being a genuine scientist, say obviously correct because you know that it's true. Yeah. And saying yes got you in trouble with who? With my colleagues who felt that I should not be put forward. I'd already had tenure. I already had a chaired professorship, which means that some rich family in town helps to, to boost up my salary. So I had already had a chair. Chair doesn't mean chair. Right. You wanted me to find not everything a, tonight. Not a literal chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I can yeah. get that. Okay. Okay. So, so um, they said they would not put me up for awards because I'd signed that statement. And I was like, what, what Wait, statement? Wait, who, who said they wouldn't put you up for the awards? My colleagues. Okay. Your colleagues were so angry that you had signed that, uh, yes. that statement. Yes. I didn't know that they were so angry until that point. Okay. And when that happened, that kind of set you off. Yes, I said, you know, I was, I was minding my own business, guys, but if that's the bottom line, you know as well as I do, we don't know what's going on in this evolution thing when you, when you look at the chemistry involved in what's going on here. And uh, if you take a chemist and you challenge them on this, do you understand the chemistry behind these steps on how you're gonna get these massive changes? You know what they say? They just look at you. <laughs> Nothing, no response. And you, you know you got it. So I said, so I, I said, you know, I'm gonna start looking at this. And then I met David Berlinski. He said, why don't you start looking into this and write an article? And, and he put you up to this. Yes. And so I started, I wanted to 
trace back evolution to back, 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 see exactly what are the theories on this. And that's how I got into origin of life. I didn't even know what abiogenesis was. That was in my area. And then all of a sudden I thought, this is crazy. I started asking my colleagues, where, where, where did life come from? And they said, a foremost reaction. And so I started looking up the foremost reaction in this work by Eschenmoser. So I looked up Eschenmoser's work and I thought, this is a bunch of nonsense. Eschenmoser's a great chemist. I've admired him a long time. Uh, but this work is nonsense to project this on life. And then every paper I started looking at, it just is every stone. It's like, wow. And that's when I started. I wrote an article for, for, for David and, and, and he published that. And then, then uh, people started putting it in books and you know, the same article. They'd reproduce it and put it in books. And, and then they'd ask me to write another and somebody would publish a paper making great claims. And they'd say, can you critique this? And I'd say, oh, this is going to be easy. I'd tear that apart, write an article on it, and that'd get published. And then I thought, nobody's reading the articles. Who reads articles? Say, so I, I got to, you know, let, let, me, let me talk about this on YouTube. And that's when I got invited to Dallas. You and I were in Dallas three years ago. And I gave that talk in Dallas. And they put it up on YouTube, and it exploded. It exploded. I even got a call from the guy at Harvard who I called out. He said, you were pretty hard on me. <laughs> and uh, actually, he sent me an email and we, and, because I, I, I called him a liar, and I regretted that. And he, he, he said, you're pretty hard on me. I said, you know, I apologize for calling you a liar because I don't want to get into the ad hominem attacks. And so I said, can I talk to you on the phone because I want to apologize to you at least over the phone. And he was very gracious. We had a, he, he forgave me and we had a discussion. I said, how come you think you're so close? He says, well, we have this, we have... I said, I, I, I don't see... He says, Jim, if you would join us in this research, we'll solve this thing. If you just join us... It's hard for me to join you when I don't think you're going down the right way. And so, anyway, that, that, that's what kicked it off. And then I thought, by YouTube, I'm hitting the masses. I don't need to hit my colleagues anymore because they're not interested in this. And the people in Origin of Life keep... They don't read my articles. They don't want to read it. But I'm hitting the masses, the very people that are being affected by the press because of these people's comments. I'm going to go after the masses. So if you would just please go and subscribe to DR James Tour on YouTube, it will really help to drive the and, and click a thumbs up on these videos because this, these algorithms then just take over and boom, the thing just goes. So you might do that. Canceled. Um, honestly, though, this is. I, it, so it really was, uh, I guess, you, you, you felt uh, an injustice had been done against you because, you know, you signed this thing as a scientist and people basically said, we're going to punish you for this. This, this was gonna... an early form of canceling, yes. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and they, were, they basically said that you, you're, not, uh, you're not playing nice and we're going to make you pay for having dared to lend your august name and credentials to these maniacs who, who would dare question uh, blind Darwinism. And that got you angry enough to start digging yeah, in. And it didn't stop there. So, so I, I have been approached by two different federal agents, two different federal agencies that give grants. Both times the people were in my office and told me this. They said, you can stop writing proposals to this agency because you're never going to get funded. They were my friends. They were just telling me, you're wasting your time. I would, write, I would be asked by a program director to write a proposal. I'd send it in. He 
it's a great, scored great and everything, boom, it wouldn't get funded. I'd call him, I'd say, it didn't get funded. And he'd be shocked. Somewhere above them, it was not being funded. Somewhere above them. And so two different friends of mine from federal agencies told me that I was not getting funded. And, and uh, uh, so they tried to cut off my lifeblood. You know, to, to a researcher, this is, this is what we live on. This is like, you know, somebody burns down your, your factory. I mean, this is, this is it. And, and so, um, but the Lord took care of me. You, um, but it, it is interesting to me that you wanted to reach what you call the masses. It's not really the masses uh, that are interested in this chemistry, but the, there are people, obviously, many, many people that are interested in this, and you decided it's worth going over the heads of the uh, elite uh, gatekeepers who, who, who don't like this stuff and who will not allow you to speak in a sense. Yeah, because I felt if, if I don't do it, who will? I already have tenure. My kids are grown and on their own. I mean, they, they're fending for themselves. It's, that day comes. They, and, and, and they pay for themselves. I don't have to pay for their, their education anymore. If I don't do this, who will? I mean, it's, it's, it would be much more threatening to a young professor to say what I'm saying. I mean, they even come up to me. They say, I agree with all your videos. Don't use my name. And I understand that. I understand it. And I appreciate they're telling me this. Uh, why do they want to subject themselves to this kind of nonsense? And so if, if, if I don't do this, then who will? I don't know, I was thinking of taking a crack at it. Uh, well, it, it is, um, I, I am, I'm very glad that you've, you've started putting this stuff out uh, because what we're talking about here, I mean, this is kind of like the opposite side of talking about making graphene inexpensively, and it's going to lead to a revolution. This, too, will lead to a revolution. In other words, if, if graphic students in the privacy of their own homes watching these videos, uh, grad students, um, see what you're putting out there, I think, I mean, I just have to say that, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room is what Stephen uh, Meyer calls the God hypothesis. Uh, that, that it's hard to get away from the idea that if, if, it's, if it's so just, almost unbelievably difficult to begin, to begin, to begin, to begin to move in the direction of life, that a lot of people are going to conclude maybe God did it. I mean, it, 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 most people um, w w would have to at least consider the concept of that. Now, you, as a scientist, you can't say that, but the point is that strikes me as why this is so difficult because a lot of the scientific community has become wedded to a materialist, scientistic view, and that even suggesting that something can't happen through natural processes is so offensive they have to cancel you. 
Yes, and, and so th this is the God of the gaps hypothesis. What we can't explain, God has done. And I've been accused of that many times. That's why I never bring that in. I never say, well, we can't ex explain this, so it must have been God, no way. I, I could never say that as a scientist. What I actually say is that I presume that in the future we will learn how life formed. And, and that may be 500 years, that may be 1,000 years, but I presume that we will learn because that's all that I can say as a scientist. Just like a person in the year 1500, if you said, well, when are we gonna have space flight? I mean, how, how could they even make a guess? I know it's not gonna be soon. And, and, and uh, uh, so that's all that I can say. And it's, it's, it is a basic fundamental when we start thinking about life just how you define what it is I just lost. Not even in, in a creature as, as, as complex as a human being where you have this, this whole other dimension of, of, of consciousness and, 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 uh, uh, and thought, but even of a cell. What is it that I just lost when that cell died and you're scratching your head? It was just alive. Everything's about in place. You know, something like poke it or something. What did I just lose here? And you this, can't this say a soul, because we're talking about single cells. We're talking about a single cell. I, I, I don't know. Do single cells have souls? I mean, they might. You know, I don't you know. know. You know, I mean, it's, 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 you, know, you, gotta, you, you start from one cell. I mean, and the thing divides oh. and divides. And, and, uh, well, what's funny you, is people you know. will use phrases. It's kind of like protoplasm. They'll make up a phrase like Elan Vital. You know, they'll talk about some life force. And, you know, it's like a 19... 40s or 50s science fiction film, the life force. And you think, well, what, excuse me, what is the life force and where does it come from? And, you know, and that's, that's what we're talking about. I mean, look, nothing could be more appropriate to ask uh, at Socrates and City is, you know, what is life? That's what we're talking about. What is life? Where did it come from? And then what can we know about it? Even if we don't have an answer, what can we know? Uh, and it sounds like, you know, as look, all of these scientists have been learning things over these seventy years. They've not been doing nothing. I think. I think that what we've learned is that we have absolutely no idea, and everything we've tried is an utter failure. That's what we've learned. Right. Yeah. But that's that's not nothing, right? Yeah, that's not nothing. It's this, just, this thing is a whole lot more complex than what we thought. Right. That's an understatement. I mean, that's a dramatic understatement. But the point is that if you're honest, you would say, that's not nothing, you know, that's, that's something. But if you've already pre-established a goal that's getting funded um, and it's not in line with learning that we know nothing, uh, then, you, then you have a problem. As some of these folks in the community seem to have. Well, okay, so, you're on YouTube now, you're, you're putting this stuff out there. How long have you been putting these things out there and where do you think this might go? Well, over COVID, because I wasn't traveling as much, I did a series, a 13-part series on Origin of Life. And, and so COVID was bad for the community. For the Origin of Life community, it was really bad. Very bad. I had a lot more time on my hands. Oh, that's very bad. <laughs> and so, and, and it was like 13 or 14 different parts, but now I, I have the, 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 the click once, you can just click and listen for nine hours straight. 
So if you're ever suffering from insomnia, just click <laughs> and you'll be okay. But I explained the problems with origin of life from the beginning. Now I'm coming out. So, so, and, and this came because somebody attacked me. Somebody, I was just, again, I was minding my own business and he came out with a video and he says, Jim Tour is clueless on this and here's how life formed. And it was so ridiculous that I had to come out. It took me nine hours of video to, to show how wrong this person was, because a lie is very easy to tell the truth and to explain it is really detailed. Then he came out with a two-part video saying, I had it all wrong again, so now I'm coming out with two series on this. The first series is just about to come out, and it's on the experts, so he brought on some so-called experts. Two, he brought on three experts. Two of them knew that they were bring, being brought on. One of them didn't even know it. He just took one of the guy's videos and stuck it in as if he was, and I know this because that so-called ex, expert is a friend of mine and told me, he said, what do you mean I'm on a video? And he had no idea. So anyway, all of that will be exposed, but now I can go after the quote-unquote scientific experts and their data. They came after me. They said things about me in a social medium. I'm going to use a social medium to just put it right back at them. So they now- They pushed you too far. Pardon? They, uh, I think they made a real, real mistake when they decided to Yeah, they to made tangle. a real mistake. And what I said, whoever goes on this guy's YouTube channel and talks about origin of life, I'm gonna go right after your work. I'm going right after your work. And every paper that he cites, I will go right after that paper. These origin of life people are gonna hope that this guy never uses their papers in his evidence for origin of life because I'm going right at, and, and, and so, so uh, uh, this is what I'm doing. And it's, it really is the best medium. It, it, it is the best, it, it gets out, you get thousands and thousands of views so quickly. And, and it, it's an amazing medium and you hit large numbers of people all over the world. And so it, 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 it has a real impact. You know, I write all these articles, nobody ever reads them. Well, I have 700 articles nobody's ever read. Well, right, right. The, the, in, in all seriousness, I mean, what, what, what started this off for me and made me write my book was, was the same impulse that people need to know. The world needs to know what you've been sharing tonight and what you've shared with me because it doesn't get more fundamental than this. When you think about questions, you know, we're not, you know, talking about how did the moon form or how to, you know, that's fascinating, but it could not be more central than how did life come into being? And then to discover that the people telling us how are blowing smoke, know that they're blowing smoke, and that it can rather easily be shown, that's, that's, Headline news, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And, and people will say, well, maybe, maybe aliens brought it to planet Earth. And I'm fine with that. That could be. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about origin of first life. Where did those aliens come from? How did their life be made? So Let's so see their papers. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, going after them. Yeah. So, so it, it's origin of first life. You know, we, we can't just, because that's we're, what many we're not, people we're not do. dumb enough to buy the, the aliens thing. You don't need to explain that to us. You know, when people say. I thought this is what this meeting was about. Yeah. We're all going to be. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's, it's, well, it's funny because in, um, in, in my book, I refer to 
Um, who was it? Uh, Watson. It was either Watson. What, or Watson for, this is the panspermia model. Yeah. They, yeah. No, but even that, the term panspermia, like you give it this fancy scientific name, it's like it's the stupidest thing ever. It's like, how did life come to Earth? Uh, from someplace else. Uh, and they go, really? Uh, yes, I call it panspermia. Uh, and you think, well, that really, that, that, that's like saying, who baked that cake? Where did that cake come from? Who made that cake? And you say, well, no one here made it. I believe somebody carried it down the hall uh, from over there someplace. And you go, okay. Can we go there and find out how they made the cake? Because we don't really care how it got here. We care how it got made. And so the idea that no Nobel Prize winners would float these ideas like panspermia, it seems like, like you're making it up like a joke, actually. It seems amazing to me. Um, and so, so my, uh, my, my impulse, as I say, in, in, in writing about it, and I'm so glad you're making these videos, is that the world needs to know this. This is not a little thing. This is a big deal thing. And uh, I, I just want to say on behalf of Socrates in the city and the innumerable people uh, who will watch this and your videos at uh, Dr. James Tour on YouTube. DR James Tour. Uh, DR James Tour. I want to say thank you, Dr. James Tour, for being a that was Eric Metaxas interviewing Dr. James Tour at a Houston-based Socrates in the City event. To find out more about these events, visit SocratesInTheCity.com. And check out more from Dr. James Tour here at ID the Future by visiting IDTheFuture.com, where you can simply click the author link and search for his name there. For ID the Future, I'm Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at IDTheFuture.com and IntelligentDesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by Center for Science and Culture.